ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. I'm super excited about this week's episode. Uh, a lot going on in the wrestling world, a lot going on in the world in general. Um, and uh, this week I'm, I'm bringing back my, my buddy, Chris Plano, and we're going to be breaking down uh, some classic, uh, an- another classic show. Um, so without any further ado, let's bring on my co-host. Tony, how are you? So great to have you Chris, back. what is going on, week. my friend? We had an awesome show last week, and I am so looking forward to this week's show. And, and we're gonna we're gonna dig back into the vault a little bit and talk about what's happening today in wrestling, and, and we're gonna turn it back to some yesteryear as well. So, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me back. Oh man, it's gonna be great. Uh, I'm excited about this week's show. But uh, but man, the the um, the major story, are, and 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 of course, again, this is a rumor, but this is a thing that I'm hearing. Um, over uh, online and lots several places but there's talk of the wwe being sold to disney and espn chris what do you think about that huge huge news not only on the professional wrestling scene but also on the entertainment scene as well wwe potentially up for sale you got fox in the mix espn maybe disney i mean God knows what's going through Vince McMahon's mind right now and just everyone in the hierarchy of, of World Wrestling Entertainment or WWE, but something's brewing, I think, Tony. That's all I can say, and um, there could be a market for it. We're in some trying times right now with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of things going on in just the entertainment business across the board, and uh, I don't know. Something big, I think, is brewing. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, but, but it's so sad to see, um, how, you know, the world today, I mean, a lot of us, Chris, like, like you and I, we've uh, been, you know, rather lucky to be able to, to work from our home and still, uh, draw our paychecks. But uh, a lot of these WWE superstars, um, you know, they, they've been going there to the, to the, um, to the, uh, performance center and, and recording, you know, Raw and SmackDown and of course WrestleMania, but you, 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 one's got to think uh, how how long can that go on without selling tickets? You know, I mean that's 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 what the wrestling business is based off of is how many butts you put in the seats, and if you're not putting butts in the seats, you're not putting any money, um, you know, into the company. I mean, I know they have the WWE Network for nine ninety five, and 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 they're able to get a little revenue from that. And of course, with the gimmicks and stuff. But Chris, we we let, let, I mean, let's 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 call a spade a spade here. The um the way to make money in the wrestling business is to get fans in the building. Absolutely, they the WWE has two business models. Obviously, they've got their monthly pay per view business model, whatever that themed monthly pay per view is. Then we know that they got the four big pay per views per year capped off with WrestleMania, which we they just had recently. And then they've got the live house show revenue that comes in, in addition to merchandise and other online sales and, and point of sales at arenas. 
So they're missing out on the house show sales right now, big time, and it's definitely cutting into the overall revenue uh, for, for the industry and obviously for the WWE and just everyone across the board. So the question is, how long can they sustain this current model of wrestling in front of no fans? Because that definitely wasn't their chemistry or, or, or equation makeup in the past. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's. I mean, the world as we know it uh, is changed. And, and if you go back in history, I mean, history will tell you about what you're about what you're facing at this point in time. Um, I was talking to someone earlier today, and and they were like, you know, the world changed uh, when the Spanish flu came. Um, the world changed when nine eleven came, um, and I think COVID nineteen um, is definitely changing the world as we know it i mean I, i'm seeing now like you know uh chris you and i in the wrestling business you know it's as no uh it's it's no um uh every time you know you uh see you know see your brother or see uh, somebody you know uh, man the first thing you do is grab them and hug them you know and like now i'm seeing that people aren't doing that anymore i mean and they're, they're not even shaking hands it's, it's almost to the point where um you know the world is is, is such a uh is is, is so into um, electronics and texting and emailing and stuff. Uh, I'm I'm scared that that that's going to be like our only form of communication because all these high school kids and middle school kids, um, but because they're they're learning from home and they're learning from uh, doing like you know Zoom classes and things like that. Man, their their social skills are are going to be are is in dire dire straits at this point. Absolutely, and, and and Tony, I think this is the new norm. We're in the new norm now, and um, people are going to have to adjust or accept it or do what they need to do to embrace it. And I use embrace as kind of a, a, a power word, per se, and, and whether we're adults or kids or any age in between, um, until we can get a vaccine for this COVID-19, until we can get this under control and we can flatten that curve or decrease that curve and, and, um, and knock it out of here. Um, um, I think we're in for a little bit of a long haul. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I am seeing that, that a lot of States are starting to open things up a little bit more. And, uh, and right here in North Carolina, um, I just found out that NASCAR is actually going to run the Coca-Cola 600. Now, Nobody's going to be buying tickets to come there and watch it, but at least we're we're in North, as as far as North Carolina goes, we're actually stepping kind of in the right direction because now they're you know opening up, um, you know NASCAR to be able to come and run their uh, NASCAR uh, Coca Cola six hundred. So uh, we're uh, going to actually get to see that on television, but can't be there. Um, so so that that's that's kind of exciting news a little bit. But Chris, I I. I as as much as as I want to go see this Motley Crue concert coming up here in July, I I just don't think any concerts are going to be happening, um, you know, this summer. Yeah, I, I know we touched upon this um, in the last week or two, Tony, but things are looking bleaker and bleaker for the entertainment industry, especially as it relates to concerts. And I'm talking concerts, stadium tours, outdoor amphitheaters indoor arenas down to small venues that are bars that host local bands and everything in between, it's going to be tough. And bands want to play in front of a packed house. Right. They don't want to play with people 
four or five, six feet apart, <laughs> spread no. out amongst no. the building or, or an arena. So it's going to be a tough go. And um, um, I really feel bad for Live Nation and a lot of the other entertainment companies out there. Um, and, and, and who knows what's going to happen. But I think for the rest of 2020, it's, it's, it's going to be really a, a tough go uh, up to through the holidays. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But uh, anyway, let's uh, try to, to, to turn this show into something fun uh, and exciting. Yeah. And I, I know we, we talked about this last week. You know, each each week we uh, we, we focus on a, a classic wrestling event that, that we either saw or in live or we or we actually saw on television uh so to, to kind of keep going with that this week um i thought that uh that this week i would turn it over to to you and let you come up with a um a classic show so this week's fans chris plano is going to be we're about to take it back, back, back. chris is going to be taking it back to what year chris tony we're going to take it back to april 1989, um, and I, I may have to give a little background on this as well, just, just for you and, and, and for the listeners out there. I grew up in the New Haven, Connecticut area, which was about maybe 30 to 40 miles from the WWF headquarters mm-hmm. when it was the World Wrestling Federation back in the day in Stanford, Connecticut, and they're still there now the WWE headquarters, and in April of 89, the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, Jim Crockett Promotions, did something that no one would ever do, Tony. They held a wrestling card show at the New Haven Coliseum some 40 miles away, which is not far, Mm-hmm. From the World Wrestling Federation headquarters, is that is that crazy? That is insane, especially uh, around this time because even though Vince McMahon was going around and also Jim Crockett too, going around and buying out you know uh, territories, um, it, there, there there was that line of north and south. You had WWF at the time up in the north, and of course the, you know they like I said they were el- they were all over, but the north was their home territory. And Jim Crockett Promotions was a Southern Territory, so their their major uh, venues at the time was like Greensboro Coliseum, Charlotte Coliseum, Norfolk, Virginia. So now uh, Dusty and Crockett has decided, hey, uh, Vince is trying to buy up everything. Let's show him that that we can compete. And so they went right in his backyard and 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 done a show. Right, absolutely, and and when you talk about territories, back then, McMahon had a stranglehold on the Northeast. I mean, he had a stranglehold in Boston, Massachusetts at the Boston Garden. Obviously, Madison Square Garden in New York on Monday nights was, was a given. Philadelphia at the Spectrum. Washington, D.C. at the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland. And then... He also used New Haven, Connecticut, the old Coliseum, and also the Hartford Civic Center in Hartford, Connecticut, as spot shows leading into the bigger shows, you know, into the bigger cities. So McMahon really had a stranglehold on that area. And when the NWA was coming to town, 
I mean, you're looking at someone, I think I was 17 years old then. I was ecstatic because the only exposure I had to the NWA was either going to the local store and grabbing the, the monthly magazines or watching it at 6.05 p.m. every Saturday night on WTBS out of Atlanta. And I watched it just to see Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, and 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 Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff, and, and, and that's why I tuned in, really, to hear what Ric Flair had to say that week because it was really – that he was my draw, and and it was great to see him live for the first time when they when he came to Connecticut. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure that that was a uh, a sight to see. Um, you know, one of the things that I I never you know living in here in the South, uh, one of the things I never got to witness growing up was a WWF uh, event. Um, well, I mean, I did I, I did see about, but I'm talking about like classic WWF Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, that kind of thing. Um, I, I did get to see them, but it wasn't until they, you know, came to WCW. Um, but in the eighties, you know, we're, we're talking 86, 87, 88, 89, Vince McMahon and the WWF. I mean, they, they were on fire. Uh, merchandise was blowing off the shelves. Uh, they had television shows, cartoons, candies. I mean, you name it, they had it. So they were more commercialized, but in Jim Crockett promotions, uh, it was more realistic in your face, blood and guts, uh, realism. Um, and uh, so it, w- it was two different types of companies. But, but Chris, I can imagine, I mean, you were lucky enough living there. You got to see uh, Southern Wrestling at, at its best. And, uh, and man, in 1989, Jim Crockett Promotions, was, was at, they, they were on fire. They had the big, um, the big rivalry feud with Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. So, I mean, it, I'm sure it was, it was an awesome show. Yeah, when this show took place, Tony, I'm looking at the history of the NWA now. This show took place six days after Class of the Champions 6 in New Orleans at the Superdome. So this was when Flair was wrestling nearly every night for the NWA in some sort of capacity, or Crockett was running shows every night. To give you an idea, and I'm looking at it by almost day by day, they were in, off of that Superdome show, they ran Florida every night during the week, that particular week during the weeknight, and then cut up to Norfolk, Virginia at the Scope, which was a legendary place for the NWA on April 7th, And then the next night, they were in New Haven, Connecticut. You want to hear the craziest thing where they were the next night? Where's that? They were in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. Just, I mean, from And they were moving. And then they were doing TV tapings Monday and Tuesday night for the upcoming week, and then off running to the different cities after that. Unbelievable. I mean, think about the, the, um, I mean, they're running hard. But I'm mm-hmm. sure at that time, I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know what the what the uh, the uh, New Haven Coliseum uh, would hold, but I'm, but I'm sure it was probably sold out. Am I right? Actually, it was a little. No, it wasn't sold out. They had um, actually. I'm looking. I'm actually looking. There's some various um, attendance differences. I've been looking on a couple of different sites. I've seen anywhere from forty five hundred to six thousand. Mm-hmm. New Haven was a small arena. It held about 7,000 people overall, uh, but it was a good crowd right, overall yeah. that evening. 
in New Haven. And I have the matches here, and, and I remember them. It was the debut in the state. Um, you know, Junkyard Dog pinned Rip Morgan in the opening match. JYD was off of WWF at that time. Right, yeah. Um, um, you know, Dick Murdoch took on Bob Orton Jr. to a time limit draw. Cowboy Bob Orton, kind of a semi-WWF guy there as well. Yep. And then uh, uh, Sting defeated Kevin Sullivan. Uh, it, Mike Rotunda interfered. So, again, Mike Rotunda, kind of a former WWF guy there as well. And also during that time with that, they were building the feud with uh, with Sting and Mike Rotunda because I, I, I believe Mike Sting would go on to win the world TV title from Mike Rotunda. Am I right on that? Correct. Yes, yeah. you are correct there. Yes. Here's another interesting match. Butch Reed and the Iron Sheik defeated Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner. Oh, wow. The Sheik, who was a WWF guy. Mm-hmm. You know, an, another one um, as well. That was that was uh, with the flagpole. And then Lex Luger pinned Michael Hayes. For, he was the U.S. champion right. at that time. At that time, they were, they were building the, the feud between Michael and, and Luger. Right, exactly. And then the, and then it was kind of... When they promoted this show, it was kind of a double main event, but it, it, in, a, in a way, it, it kind of really wasn't. But they were promoting the Road Warriors, Heavy, Animal, and Hawk at that time. Mm -hmm. The Road Warriors defeated uh, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Mike Rotunda via DQ when um, Kevin Sullivan interfered in that match. But the funny thing is, I remember this match because when that match took place, all of a sudden, two cameras came to ringside, TV cameras, and I turned around to my father at that time back in 1989 and said, oh, my God, the titles are changing tonight in New Haven. I said, Dad, they're going to film this for WTBS in Atlanta when they go on 605 next Saturday. You watch. And that was the only match. The cameras came out. They filmed it, but the Road Warriors ended up winning. They defeated them, but... Again, the titles, uh, I thought the titles would change, but they didn't change. So I think they were trying to throw the crowd off a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. For Sounds that like particular it. match because it was a new territory for them. Mm -hmm. And then, and then Tony, the main event speaks itself. I mean, it's the classic, you know, Steamboat had the belt at this time. He was the world champion. And all I know is we were sitting right there at the entranceway. My father bought tickets right there. We were six rows up from the floor, right at the hallway where they came out. Mm -hmm. And when Flair walked the aisle and I saw that blonde hair, I mean, I was the only one, I think, standing up in the arena. And my dad told me to sit down. Oh, I'm telling you. And, Chris, I, you know, I will go on record to say this, okay? In the 50s and the 60s and a little bit in the 70s, the world, the world had Elvis Presley. Ric Flair was our yeah. Elvis Presley. I mean, he was the. I mean, I don't want to use the word God, but I mean, he was he was pro wrestling. I mean, he had the look, and you know, if if you watch, go back and watch some of the old Ric Flair stuff, and and you would you would see his robes on television. The TV right. did not do those robes justice because when you got to oh. an arena. And as he walked out, and those lights would hit those those um, those rhinestones and and the and the boas and uh, and the and the crystals and the, and they would just I mean it would just I mean flare and with that with that blonde hair 
uh i mean it was just a site that you just you can't even you can't even describe yeah and and you know it was uh it was a time, you know, and I figured, well, the cameras didn't come back out for that match. So I was kind of figuring already, okay, Flair's, I don't know where he stands tonight. He came out with the, if my, if my memory is correct, he came out with the greenish looking robe on that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, um, but, it, it was probably either the, more likely it was probably the, the green robe um, that um, it was green with the, um, with the, with the tigers on it probably. Yes. And. You know, sitting there, and I saw so many WWF shows in that arena, Tony, and I'm going back to the 70s mm-hmm. when I saw Andre and Bob Backlund and superstar Billy Graham and, and the Samoans, and, God, the list goes on and on, all the guys we saw come through there. And then when you see the NWA guys, and it was the first time I ever saw Sting live, mm-hmm. you know, as, as well, it was a treat, and... But my father was like, I swear to God, when I tell you, I was probably the only person jumping up and down when Flair walked the aisle because that was Ricky Steamboat territory. He was coming off the WWF run with with Randy Savage and, you know, and plus just Ricky Steamboat in general, you know, with the fans is is over. Mm -hmm. So it it was like hostile territory. I was like, I don't know if Ric Flair is ever going to come back to Connecticut because... You know, it was a great, great treat. And, um, Tony, I'm going to just say this to you right now, and I already know the answer. you got to know Vince had some spies in the crowd that evening in New oh, Haven. no doubt in my mind. I mean, Multiple spies in yes. the crowd. I would think that he, that he had to pay a ticket at the window to get in. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, no doubt in my mind, he had people out there uh, checking it out, trying to see, um, you know, exactly – what what this company from the south is going to be doing and uh and you know and let's be honest I mean Crockett Promotions was on fire but in 89 I mean they they it was 89 was not night was not 86 uh no. had now had Jim Crockett Promotions been there in New Haven in 1986 when they had Magnum and the the Horseman oh and Dusty oh my god if 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 they had done that then I don't think WWF would have would have would have made it no, no, absolutely. But I think the great thing was, was for us in Connecticut, and, and it's kind of like you down here. We were so smothered. We were so smothered with WWF, and for years we were. And, the, and Hulk Hogan and, and, and Randy Savage, and we're just smothered with it. They came there once a month. Connecticut was, New Haven was a once a month stop was every four to six week stop. So that's all we were inundated with. And when this came, it was like, it was almost a breath of fresh air. And you know, there's other stuff out there beyond the WWF. And I think new Haven took a risk, you know, and they, and they did it and they had a lot of fun with it. And it was a great time on a Saturday night. And those guys got on a plane to Atlanta the next night and were wrestling in the Omni. And they were probably talking that locker room in Atlanta saying we wrestled in, Vince McMahon territory in Connecticut last night. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, Be- uh, because I'm- the closest they ever came was the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, and in Philadelphia when they ran the Great American Bash. That was the closest they ever came to 
McMahon territory. And they did run the bash a couple of times, I believe, in at that stadium in Philadelphia. Yeah. Now I also remember that in um uh in nineteen eighty seven I was in middle school. Uh, the WWF came to Winston-Salem. That, that, that was the closest, you know, that, during that time, Vince was kind of going around in people's backyards. And I remember he, he you know, WWF came to uh, Winston-Salem at the Lawrence Joel Coliseum. And uh, I didn't get to go, but but one of my classmates went. And I remember uh, at the time, Hogan was over, and he had those yellow, the, the yellow T-shirt with the red Hulk with the with the slits cut in the back. Mm-hmm. And my friend wore that shirt to school. And I'm like, dude, where'd you get that shirt? He's like, oh, I went and saw Hulk Hogan. I was like, what? What do you mean, where? Because I knew at that time WWF never came around, um, but they did. So, you know, I, I kind of missed the boat on that one And um, because he said the main event was uh, was Hogan. and um, I think he said it was Hogan, Hogan and maybe Haku. I mean, I'm sorry, Andre and Haku against Hogan and maybe Jim Duggan. I can't remember, but I know it was, it was a weird. And for Hogan, it, the easiest of matches ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good friends with Haku, good friends with Duggan, and yeah. you know, Andre is going to do on. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like okay. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, Barry Hogan, the tag team or a six man match, he's probably not going to do much. Right. Yeah. For sure. But but um, but all in all, I mean, I, I I hate I hate that I wasn't at that show to witness that. But I can only imagine the aura that that went on. You know, during that time. Um, you kind of touched you kind of touched a, a couple of times on um, some of the the major matches that took place in '89. Of course, no doubt the best the best matches that took place in 1989 was was without a doubt Flair and Steamboat. But you also had a few other nice rivalries that was going on during the time, like with the um, the Road Warriors and and the um, the Varsity Club, um, and then you had Luger and Michael Hayes. And then, of course, uh, Sting and um, uh, Mike Rotundo. So uh, a lot, a lot of good stuff went on. So you actually got to see some matches that were actually on, you know, one of the, the uh, WCW pay per views at that time in 1989. Um, so great, great show, Chris. I'm, I mean, uh, you know, that- absolutely. And, and and I know you touched on Michael Hayes, and when he walked the aisle, I was like, oh my god, there's one of the fabulous Freebirds. Oh man, I mean. That's how I related to him. Not it yeah. was even Michael Hayes, right? Yeah, <laughs> because I know he was trying to get out of the Freebird, probably angle and gimmick at that time. But that's how I related to him. Yeah, and and I'll tell you one one of the biggest times as a kid that I went to a wrestling show and I popped um, was when, when I, in eighty four eighty five the Von the Von Erickson Freebirds was without a doubt the hottest feud during that time. I mean, it was just it was just so real it was just like the north versus the south it's like a civil war um mm-hmm. and then during the uh 1988 great american bash um they they had the great american bash in greensboro and they and at that time jim crockett had just bought the the uwf um which which was actually mid-south he bought that territory well the Freebirds were down there working and yeah. I remember on that Great American Bash card, you know, I'm there, there with with a couple of my friends and my dad had t- had taken us, and we're sitting there, Chris. And um, my my dad never believed in buying gimmicks; he wouldn't buy gimmicks at a show. You know, I would save up my money, but uh, but I remember we went to this Great American Bash, and um, I wanted to get a program, and my dad said, "No, nah, that's a waste of money. We ain't buying that." <laughs> so I'm like, "Well, I'm getting a T-shirt." So I ended up getting a um, 
And at the time, the Rockland Express had just came back to the NWA. So I ended up getting uh, that really cool Rockland Express shirt where, where it looks like they're against a brick wall and Ricky's singing with the microphone and Robert's playing a guitar. And it, was, it was a cool shirt. Um, it, it looked like a, like a real um, tour shirt, you know, from, from a heavy metal band. But anyway, right. we're sitting there. Rockland Express comes out. I think the Rockland Express wrestled the Sheep Herders, if I remember on that card. Um, but oh, then, the sheep herders. <laughs> yeah, but, but then later on, um, and God, it, it's, I'm, I'm losing my mind on this, but I can't remember who they worked, but all three free birds, um, I want to say maybe they worked, um, I can't remember now my, my mind lost me, but, but I remember sitting there in the Greensboro Coliseum. I mean, Chris, they, they had like 12 matches on this card. Um, but right. rock, rock and roll came out, popped the crowd. Everybody's excited because that you know, rock and roll's back. Um, I had a couple other matches, and then I'm sitting there and I hear, you know, the Bad Street USA, and I hear the the, the drum, doom, 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 doom. I looked at my buddy. I said, "Is that what I?" Th-? And before I could say anything, man, that that the, the guitar came in, and man, the, the place went crazy, and I'm marking out completely. And man, the Freebirds came in. They're they're wearing their their um their old school uh, Freebird entry jackets. Michael Hayes has got the big Rebel flag robe on. Terry's got the vest. Buddy Roberts has got the jacket. Man, they're coming down the aisle. And, and tell me, Michael oh. bobbing his head as he's coming bobbing down the, the aisle. Head. I know yes, he yes, bobbing the head. You know, look. Terry's right behind him, and Buddy's just Buddy's in the back, man. Buddy's in the back. But <laughs> but man, I I was like, man. Mm. So you know. I, I guess one, what some of my favorite that that was. I mean, even though that Great American Bash wasn't that big of a draw, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I think maybe next week uh, when when we do our classic um, classic show, maybe we'll uh, we'll uh, do do like an old Great American Bash. Maybe that one. I don't know. I got to do some research, but um, but man, oh, we what, could do some Great American Bash whatever year you want to take. I'm and telling you. I mean, when this, I remember the Great American Bash, I just remember TBS 605 at night. We're on tour and they're hitting city, city, city. Oh, it, guy flying out of the helicopter with a yes. with a, with the American flag behind them, and, and we're we're rocking and rolling there. And and I mean, the Great American Bash was like a concert. I mean, what and it really was because it they was. they they had country stars, had David Allen Coe, and that I think they even had mm-hmm. Hank Williams Jr. a couple of times and. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was a it was a tremendous time. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, Great American Bash was was an awesome uh, an awesome event for Crockett Promotions. But, but man, I you know, uh, the the New Haven show Crockett going into WWF territory, man, that was uh, I mean that 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 had to be something else to see at that time. Tony, for the listeners on here, if you were there, it was a treat. It was a treat just to go to honor what was taking place down in the Mid Atlantic and down south. And that for some of the fans that for the fans that showed up that night, hey, there's more to life than the WWF and Hulk Hogan. And I got to see the Nature Boy walk the aisle and Sting and the Road Warriors, guys I've never seen before alive. And it was a treat for me as a 16, 17 year old kid following wrestling from when I was beyond knee high. So it was great, and it was great for the state. And so appreciative that Jim Crockett Promotions took. A risk. They took a risk to come up to an area that was really a stranglehold at that time. And at the end of the day, it it worked, and they asked for forgiveness later. I'm sure. Oh yeah, it was it was a great good time. And speaking of good times, Chris, did you happen to catch the new intro of the Binge Buster show? Tony, 
I caught that intro of the Binge Budger show. My eyes lit up. My antennas went up. I was like, whoa, what's that? I was like, I don't know. Hey, Tony's hanging around someone. I'm Maybe you might tell me her name or something, but she sounded great and uh, a great intro. And uh, maybe more to come there, but that was a great intro. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you more offline about that. But you caught me off guard, but that was a great intro for this week's show. Yeah, man. I decided, I said, hey, you know, the Binge Buster Show, if if we're going to compete with the big boys, we, we have got to get some more, uh, some bigger stars, bigger things on the show. And, and so, and I, I said, you know, the, the people have to sit for an hour and listen to my, you know, my country twang and my country accent and all this good stuff. So I said, hey, they they, they don't need to hear me inter- introduce the show. I want to get something that, that that's going to get the guy's attention say, Oh, whoa, wait a minute. You know, all these other podcasts, they got these, you know, cheesy intros, but man, Tony has got somebody that goes, well, who, what does she look like? And, um, but I'm gonna keep all that secret, but, um, but I know, uh, I've, I've already talked to her and she's, uh, she's excited to, uh, to, uh, do, do some more, uh, voices over voiceovers for the, uh, the, for the binge buster show coming up in the next few weeks. And, uh, and I'm in talks. I'm, I'm not going to release any names because I've got to make sure I can get I, I can get this okayed with their manager. But in the next few weeks, I'm going to have some other people promoting the Binge Buster Show. And Chris, I ain't talking about like people who um, and I, I ain't gonna say it's no way in, in a mean way, but the the people that I that I am I am thinking about getting to come on the show and and promote the show are major players in rock and roll music. Uh, like I said, I don't let the cat out of the bag, but it's going to be nothing but a good time when I get this guy on our show, Chris. Tony, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not going to doubt anything you're saying to me, and I, I know you're doing some great things, and I, I look forward to working um, with your new female contact and anything else coming up around this corner, and I know it's only going to be the best for the show, and Boy, you really gave me a flashback tonight uh, some, you know, 31 years ago, at least or more, and it was a great time for wrestling and a great time just overall, and it was good to talk about some stuff, and who knows, hey, a week from now, the WWE may be sold. We never know. Never know, but but fans, uh, in order to, to learn things, uh, you got to tune in to the Binge Buster Show each week because Chris and I are going to be putting it out there. Uh, we're not, we're not going to hold nothing back. Um, now we're, we're not going to be, we're not, we're not going out to spread rumors. We're not going to tell things we don't, we're, that's, that's not true, but we're going to do everything in our power to get the scoop first. Um, and to, to get it out there to you listeners at home. Um, and of course, you know, at, at the end of the day, we're all, um, fighting this, this COVID-19 together. Um, and if we don't work together, it's not, we're, we're not going to beat it. And, and I really think that the world is really uh, coming together. I mean, j- just, just the other day, Chris, to give you an example, how I th- feel like the world is, is even though it's crazy, it's still in a better place. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in line to, you know, in a drive through, uh, to, to get breakfast for my family and I pull up to pay and they're like, well, you know, the car in front of you just paid for you. I'm like, what? And I'm like, okay, well, let me pay for the car behind me. So I, I paid for the car behind me. So hopefully the car behind me paid for the one behind them because there was a lot of people uh, there at that drive-through. But you know, f- people, we uh, we just got to work together on this. We gotta 
we got we got to flatten this curve so that we can all get back to work. We I can get back in the ring and uh, Chris can get back there and manage me one day. And who knows, guys? Uh, <laughs> never know what 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 you know what the future holds. But but you know let let let's all you know take it easy and uh, and and try to be more uh, more caring for 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 the other. Um, and let's 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 beat this. Yep, Tony, we're all in this together. It's a team effort. You know, we're going to overcome this just like we overcome everything else in the United States. And in the end, we are the United States of America, and, and no one should ever forget that. And we will overcome this COVID-19 and move beyond, and there's bigger, better things ahead for everyone. Just sit tight, be a team player, and we're going to get through this. We definitely are. Chris, thanks for joining us again. And fans, make sure you tune in next week on the Binge Buster Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another edition of the Bench Buster Show. Make sure you tune in each week and download us on your favorite podcast platform.